Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you and on with the show. This is the parent panel where we invite two parents into the studio, a mum and a dad, to talk about the events and stories that we've been watching this week. Today, do we care about Barnaby Joyce's private life? How far would you go to get your child into your school of choice or something else that their little heart desires? Does your child in kindy need to know about internet safety and the funniest things that children say? Joining me is Mamma Mia's Holly Wainwright, author and host of Parenting, the Parenting Podcast, This Glorious Mess, and Dr. Justin Colson, parenting expert and author of 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know. Holly, Justin, welcome. Hi. Hey, Siobhan. Nice to have you with me. Now, and I, hey, Holly. <laughs> Hello, Justin. <laughs> so to start with, I like to have a little bit of insight into your families. Um, so we'll start with Holly because Justin is going to need half an hour. Um, <laughs> Holly, tell us about your kids. So I've got two kids, which to me seems like a lot, but apparently isn't. I think we're about to find out. Um, I have a daughter who is eight. Matilda, she's just turned eight, and a little boy, Billy, who is five, and he has just started school. We're in the second week of kindy, and he's very excited, and he loves it, but every single day he loses his water bottle. Every single day. (laughs) I think he's been at school now for a total of seven days, and we've been through seven water bottles. You know, at that age, losing your water bottle is is good going. He could lose a whole lot more, and we we can't speak about that here on, you know, G-rated program, but when kids lose their other stuff at the end of a week of school, Fair enough, Justin. Does that happen to you? Oh, well, not to you personally, but to one well, of your Well, children. both actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our, our youngest has just started. I, I'm in Queensland. And so kindy is actually, I think, what people in New South Wales would call preschool. Yep. So she's sort of, you know, she does three days one week and two days the next. And um, and our, so, so my youngest, by the way, she's, she's that age where, you know, just destroys everything, destroys life, <laughs> destroys the house, destroys the lounge, the walls. The t- if, if she can get her hands on anything that can draw, there's mess for days. You know, the gumption has become our best friend. Um, and she's just started um, with, with kindy or preschool, whatever you want to call it. And last week she did her first three-day week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we picked her up, got out of the school car park at, you know, about quarter to four or thereabouts on Friday afternoon third consecutive day and she was asleep within about 14 seconds she got up at 8 p.m to have i don't know a bit of a snack went back to sleep she she basically slept from 3 45 in the afternoon on friday until just after six on saturday morning wiped her out totally wiped her out and of course that's one of your children do you want to quickly run through the rest. <laughs> sure. So the the youngest, like I said, is at the age of uh, you're just destroying everything. The eldest is, would you please just move out of home? Just, just go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so our, our eldest, Chanel, is uh, 18. She starts uni in about a week, uh, two weeks, something like that. Wow. She's off to study equine science with a view to becoming a veterinarian surgeon or whatever it is. Um, then, then I've got Abby, who's in grade 10. I've got Ella, who's in grade 8. Uh, Annie, who is in grade... Five, Lily, who's in grade three, and we've got the baby who's three and a half and just started stuff. So six daughters, all girls. I don't know if you caught the names there. Chanel, Abby, Annie, Chanel, Abby, <laughs> Ella, Annie, 
any. <laughs> so you've got too many. You've Emily. forgotten them all. You've and, lost um, track. I have, and and and, and look, they're, they're just delightful most of the time, except for I, those times when they're not. I'm not sure if I've ever asked you this before, Justin. I probably have, but did you have that many kids so you could just write about pairing, parenting <laughs> from personal experience for oh, the rest of your life? People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> um, no. And look, to answer the other questions that nobody ever asks, but everybody's thinking, yes, we do have a TV. Um, <laughs> yeah. And no, we weren't trying for a boy. We just wanted to have a big family. We love our kids. Oh, that's brilliant. All right. Well, let's get into the show. First up, we're talking about the private lives of politicians. I know, it's a little bit crass, but I couldn't help it because, you know, it's a great song. But according to the Google Dictionary, which we all like to use these days, a love child is simply a baby born out of wedlock, which is, to me, such an old-fashioned concept. Why do we care anymore? But it turns out we do care, or at least some of us care, including the media. Our Deputy Prime Minister, Barnaby Joyce, is having a baby with his partner after leaving his wife of 24 years. Politicians are saying that they have a right to privacy, but then the media are saying, no, you don't. This is this is what people need to know about. Um, I can't help thinking about Julia Gillard when she was Prime Minister and the fact that her private life was constantly under scrutiny, again, because of her family, because she had no children and apparently a stay-at-home husband. that was He was often lampooned. And I don't remember politicians making such a fuss about this kind of scrutiny of her private life. So my question for you both is, do politicians have a right to have a private life, particularly when it comes to their families? Holly, I'll start with you. Well, it's definitely a sticky one, but I think the argument that's been quite well prosecuted this week, and I'm certainly sympathetic to it, is that I think politicians lose the right to a private personal life when they are active in legislating about other people's private personal lives. And a lot of people have made the point that um, Barnaby Joyce is a very active no campaigner in the marriage equality debate and that he has often talked about the sanctity of marriage, about how that's the best situation possible for raising children, how the most um, the safest and most protected thing he could do for his four daughters is to make sure they have lovely husbands. So <laughs> I think that really when you do that, when you've put yourself out there in that way and then it turns out that shock horror your marriage your life is not so perfect after all then I think it is in the public interest but I have to say that although I'm I'm sympathetic to that and obviously I'm a member of the media so I have a certain um, vested interest I guess in in making sure that we can report things that we think matter I feel an enormous amount of sympathy for his four teenage daughters Mm. because it's a very vulnerable time in a young woman's life and I'm sure that many of us would know from experience that finding out that your father has feet of clay when you're a teenage girl is very difficult. And then seeing that being played out in the press in front of absolutely everybody and the entire world knowing all the unseemly details of your parents' marriage split is awful. Mm. So I know that makes me sound like I'm a little bit on the fence. You can be on the fence. The journalist in me thinks, yes, public interest. The parent in me thinks, oh, those poor girls. Yeah. Justin, what are your thoughts? Look, really nicely spoken by Holly. I find it uh, challenging to 
remove the 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 circumstances from the question. Um, because, yeah, everyone has a right to some level of privacy, even if you're in public life. Uh, but I can't help but think about all the things that I've read over the years in biographies of great leaders, uh, where we hear them say again and again and again that the extent to which a person lives their private life with integrity is an indicator of the extent to which they can live a public life with integrity. Uh, now, there are probably a whole bunch of leaders out there who have absolutely abysmal private lives and, and who, who still lead publicly relatively well. But for me, this just reeks. Um, I feel so devastated for his wife and children. It's it's just so sad. And, and it happens all the time in all sorts of families all over the place. Um, and it is a, a fact of, of, of the world that we live in now, but I, I just am so sad for, for, for everybody involved. I loved what Kate Langbrook said as well, and she's been lampooned by some and she's been lauded by others. But Kate came out um, on the radio yesterday and just said, uh, ladies, stop sleeping with married men. <laughs> Now, 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 see, I don't agree with that at all. Oh, good conflict. Well, let me me explain why I like this. Now, there are obviously two people who are involved in this, and I'm not at any point here shifting the blame to her alone. He's clearly a person in a position of power. He's clearly a person who has abdicated all of the promises that he made to his wife and subsequently to his children about being a good husband and father. I'm not shifting the blame from him at all. I'm not saying it's her fault. But what I am saying, and I think what Kate is saying quite clearly, is if women would simply say, shame on you, married man, for even looking at me, just go away, then we wouldn't have this situation. Again, not victim blaming, not pointing the finger at her. Uh, and, and like I said, Kate has both been pilloried and applauded for her stance, but I quite like it. And I just, you know, I, I want to say shame on him even more. He stinks even more um, because with four daughters and a wife to do that, I'm sorry, I just... Oh. And I'm Holly, what's off. your take in terms um, of the... My, my feeling about that is that, of course, it takes two to tango, that old cliche, but the responsibility in a relationship to safeguard your relationship, to not devastate the person you're married to and the children that you've brought together is the responsibility of the person who is married. It is not the responsibility of a single young woman. Now, no one is saying that she, um, that the woman in this case um, has covered herself in glory and I know that she would be absolutely hammered at the moment by the media and I'm sure by people in her private life too. But this is Barnaby Joyce's Um, mistake, stuff up. I was going to use a ruder word then. Uh, This is Barnaby Joyce's stuff up. He is the one with the responsibility to his family. And I would just um, add in here that what I find interesting about this as well is um, the Greens were saying they objected to the way it was portrayed because it was the woman, the pregnant woman who was on the front Mm -hmm. cover of the Telegraph. And there is part of me that is also thinking, okay, this is a whole big... um, storm that nobody nobody wanted but she's in a very vulnerable place as well it looks like she's about to give birth and to be on in so publicly scrutinized at that time again I hear you Justin I also think 
let's just look at Barnaby and leave her out of it. But mm. we'll see. I mean, this is a conversation we could have forever, but we do have to move on. <laughs> I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation, where we invite two parents into our studio to get their thoughts and opinions on the stories of the week. Today, I'm joined by Mama Mia's Holly Wainwright. She's an author and host of the parenting podcast, This Glorious Mess, and Dr. Justin Coulson, who's a parenting expert and author of, among many books, but his latest is called 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know. Coming up, how far would you go for your kid? You're listening to Kindly Conversation. I think parents today probably resonate with that song for their kids more than for their partner, but it goes without saying that we all want the best for our kids. But just how far would you go? So in Queensland, um, Justin, you might be familiar with this story. Parents camped out on a footpath to get their kids who were out of area into a really exclusive school. And I've heard of public schools in my area, in Sydney, where parents wait outside the school from 5 a.m., in order to get after-school care, and it's first come, first served, basically. So would you camp out in order to get your child into a school or after-school care? And if not for those things, is there something you would camp out for? Before we get to our guests, I just want to read a couple of comments from Facebook. Louise says, if parents are having to do this to get adequate care or good schooling for their kids, the system is broken. Mm. Katie says, I am so concerned that I won't be able to access appropriate after-school care. As a single parent who works full-time, I'm reliant on others, which is awkward. Good on these parents for trying their best. It's all we can do. Um, Justin, I might go to you first on this one because I can't imagine um, having six children, well, one who's not in school, but the ones that need pickups and all the rest of it. Can't imagine that's an easy thing to juggle. I'm not camping out for anything except camping <laughs> out. Um, so, so this is an area where I'm I'm much more sure-footed and 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 it's much less moral as well. Um, nor am I going to quote Kate Langbrook. Uh, <laughs> I'll the, go on; it makes it fun. <laughs> it does. Uh, the interesting thing here is that when we look at research, um, the the data tell us a, a fairly compelling story, and that is that it doesn't matter what school your kids go to in terms of their career outcomes and their earning potential. Uh, what determines your kids' career outcomes and earning potential uh, relates to the kind of home that they're raised in and the extent to which we value education and encourage the kids to have a good work ethic. So trying to get them into the right school, paying all that extra money in private school fees, uh, that's not going to guarantee that the kid's going to get into the right university or the right university course or um, do better with anything. All that it really does, whether it's a public school that you're camping out for or a private school that you're forking out, as I saw in the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of weeks ago, uh, $37,000 a year per student Mm -hmm. in Sydney now for the more elite schools, um, you're paying that money. But what you're really doing is you're buying access to an environment, an environment where perhaps... Uh, if I can 
call on traditional values a little bit. Uh, <laughs> students still call uh, the, the, the teachers sir and ma'am or miss, uh, where, where there's less likely to be the kinds of um, overt displays of disrespect uh, than there might be in a public school system, where the students are going to wear blazers and boaters um, <laughs> in, the, in the private system. And certainly students are going to be living in more affluent areas uh, in the public system. So what happens is we, we camp out or we pay this money because it gives kids access to a certain environment that you don't tend to find as much in the public system. In terms of outcomes for the kids, well, you could argue that if you send them to the local school down the road, they're going to have different outcomes because they're associating with different kids who speak differently and study differently and have different expectations. And that may be that 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 may be a, a, a somewhat valid argument. But ultimately, when you look at the hard data, it doesn't matter what school they go to. What matters is what we're doing at home and how we encourage value in education ourselves. Holly, I know that um, we both live in areas of Sydney that after-school care is a right royal pain in the behind. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure about other parts of the country, but we do have a real problem with it here. You've now got two kids in primary school. Have you had had the after-school tussle? Oh, yes. And that is pretty much the only thing I would camp out for. I have to say I'm very (laughs) reassured by the fact that Justin, who is a parenting expert, says that it doesn't matter which school they go to as long as um, they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out for the uh, <laughs> to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. However, I think that when it comes to after before and after school care, those pr- places are so valuable for working parents. A lot of people, and as you were saying before, um, one of the Facebook commenters couldn't do their job and live their life without that extended hours. Um, It's certainly the case at my child's school that they have a first come, first served. And parents are literally outside the school gates at 5am. I don't understand that. Once we are in, which we are in, in our family, because our older daughter goes there, you would not give up that place for a million bucks because you will never get it back. So I think that it's a bit of a sad indictment. And, And to me, it makes me think that sooner or later... We're going to have to address this issue of school hours and work hours being so completely out of sync. Um, And looking at some of the research about why after-school places are so valuable is because there isn't really one body that looks after that. It's very much um, school by school, and some places have off-site care. So if you can't get into the on-site care, they'll bus you somewhere else. And that just adds another degree of difficulty to what's already a really difficult juggling act for a lot of modern parents. So I can totally understand camping out for that because otherwise our lives are very difficult. But I'm afraid I'm too lazy a parent to be camping out (laughs) for Wiggles tickets or the best swim school or even the out of school. I have to also say, I think stroke of marketing genius by that Brisbane school who apparently every year have this line of um, tents outside the school trying to get in. There must be a more efficient way of organising that. But it makes their school look amazing, right? That all these parents are willing to sleep on the street for three days. It sure does. Can I jump in as well, though? I think that there's a really important important, larger question. I don't know times of the essence, so I'll make it very quick. Um, We seem to, every now and again, there's a report that comes out from the OECD that talks about how mums who are at home are a tremendous cost to the economy because they could be in the economy working, or dads for that matter, you know, whichever parent stays home to care for the kids. And we seem to have placed money by virtue of the way our society is structured as the ultimate thing. And and, and isn't it devastating that parents have got to be camped out at 5am to get their kids into after-school care? Wouldn't it be great if 
we could go back to simpler times, leave it to Beaver, whatever. I don't care how I don't care how paternalistic <laughs> or whatever this sounds. Research tells us that kids thrive when they live in a home where they have a parent who is available to them. I don't care which parent it is, but they do best when there's a parent available to, available to them. And we live in this society now that makes that so hard. And we have a political structure and an economic structure that actually demands and pushes both parents into the workforce. I read some really fascinating research. It's US data. I can't speak to Australian data. But just a few months ago, some new US data came out that showed that some 60% of working mums wish that they could either stop working or at least reduce their hours. Now, I know that there's a lot of mums that love their work. They get so much meaning and purpose from it, and it's important to them. I'm not suggesting that we should be denying that at all. We're in 2018, for goodness sakes. But it's really fascinating to me that parents and especially mums are saying, I wish I could be home more with the kids. And dads are saying it increasingly as well. I'd love to pull the hours back. I'd love to not have to leave at 5.30 and and, and do this lining up garbage because I've got a family and they're supposed to be my priority. And instead I'm sticking them in care. I don't want to do that. I didn't have them so that I could not see them. Yeah, I think a lot of people would feel for that. And another, I feel like, man, we should have made this an hour. I know. Anyway, (laughs) you're listening to the parent panel on Kindle in conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Mama Mia's Holly Wainwright and Dr. Justin Coulson, parenting expert. In just a moment, we're going to be talking about kinder kids and cybersecurity. Kindling Conversation. The government is going to introduce cyber safety classes to kids in the first year of school all the way through to year two across the country after an increase in reports of child exploitation on the net in 2017. Previously, it was just classes from years three to six. Um, Some comments from our Facebook audience. Lindy says, seriously, what the hell is a four-year-old doing on the internet? Parents' fault, exclamation mark. They should be outside playing. Farouz says, what is a four-year-old doing on the internet, especially unsupervised? This is also upsetting. Sarah says, son is five. The rules are simple. No access to web unless there's an adult. An adult will look something up for them. No access to YouTube without an adult sitting next to them. No access to social media. Um, Holly, Justin, I mean, this, this is an interesting question. I mean, I was a bit perplexed about the whole social media aspect of this for four-year-olds, um, given most, well, you're not meant to be, th- you have to be 13 before you're on Facebook. Justin, if I can just throw to you quickly first, do you know what that's about? Because I know you've had a lot to do with the um, commission who said these, you know. Who's- yes, yeah, so the e-safety commissioner uh, in, in Australia, federal government organisation. Uh, look, we, we could talk for days about this. Ultimately, parents have got to do a better job. It's a challenge and I, I sound like I'm throwing parents under the bus here. We're the first generation of parents to deal with this stuff and most parents don't know how to deal with it. And a lot of parents think it's great that the kids are online because now they can cook dinner in peace or they can have a shower or go to the bathroom, for goodness sakes, without being hassled. Um, but golly, um, you know, we've got to keep our kids safe and, and parents aren't having the conversations. They don't know how to talk about it. I think if they're not going to do it, it's got to be outsourced and 
uh, the e-safety commissioner, they've got the best data, they've got the best resources, they do a fabulous job and uh, I'm, I'm all in support of it. I wish it didn't have to happen, but since it's not happening elsewhere, I, I support the initiative. Holly, what's your take on this? Your son's just started school. He has. And it's interesting because, I mean, I very much obviously agree with Justin that if this is what the experts who know what they're talking about say has to happen, this is what has to happen. Um, but I would love to know some some language that's appropriate for a child of my son's age for what to be looking out for online because my child is four and he Can does, he read? I mean, he, he, no, four-year-olds four he, aren't reading. He can't so. read. So what, what? No, but I mean for me to talk to him about it. So right, gotcha. Because... So my kids do spend a little bit of time online, not a lot. And when I hear people say they should be playing outside, I always feel very defensive, like they play outside. (laughs) It's not like they're locked in a room with tablets and that's all they do. But for a couple of hours on a Saturday and Sunday morning, my kids are allowed to watch YouTube Kids to play some games on the iPad. That's when they're allowed to do it, not not unrestricted. And I, I know that there are things that they need to look out for on there. One of the things that I'm really interested in is how do you talk to kids so young about the intentions of sinister people? Because I don't want my children, this is the same, because to me this is like, this is stranger danger, this is modern stranger danger. The stranger danger conversation that we have with kids and that we have had with kids for a long time needs to evolve to very much include online strangers and safety. But I don't want my children to think that the world is full of awful, evil people who want to harm them. So, Justin, I'd love your thoughts on that. What are some of the ways to talk to young kids about the things that... the Because when I say to my children, you've got to be careful, you've got to watch out for this, and they say, why? What do I say? Because if you don't, I'm going to stick you in the cupboard under the stairs and never let you... No, I'm just, I'm just Apart kidding. Apart yeah. uh, Look, it's, it's pretty simple, and it's the same conversation that you have about uh, stranger danger in, in the real world. In fact, stranger danger in and of itself is a bit of a misnomer um, because we know statistically mm. that you're more likely to be hurt by somebody who's trusted and, and known and loved than somebody who's a, a random stranger. The internet, maybe not so much. You know, It's the random people. So when you're talking about four-year-olds... They're unlikely to be approached by a stranger online because they don't know how to talk, they, you know, type and read, and they're not going to be engaging with strangers in any particular way. They're not going to look up chat roulette and start having no. um, bizarre random conversations with people on the other side of the world who are doing inappropriate things. Um, instead, what we want to do with the younger kids is just let them know that some of the content that's online isn't good for them. Mm. Sometimes people do things on the internet that are just not good and and that's why we want to keep them safe. So there's only allowed to be, you know, these websites and we have the filters which they don't even need to know about at the age of 4 really. Um and and we just explain that if you want to do something, these are the rules. If you ever hear or see something on the internet that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can come and talk to me about it. And when you find out that the kids have stumbled upon that X-rated My Little Pony video on YouTube, um, because they're out there, um, you don't say, that's it, the internet's banned, we should never have got that tablet. What you do instead is you say, wow, uh, that's horrible. Um, This is why we always need to make sure that mummy or daddy or whoever it is, is is with you. We want to keep them safe. Um, as I said, should have made it an hour. But thank you for that, Justin. It is something we all struggle with. This is the parent panel. We'll be back after this very short break with the question, what is the funniest thing your child has ever said to you? You're listening to Kinderly Conversation. 
Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said, be an actor, my son. Just makes you want to laugh, that song. One of the best things I reckon about being a parent is being privy to all the hilarious things that children say. So uh, my son recently told me my bottom looked like scrambled eggs. And my daughter one day when she was... Wow. I know, is right? Is that funny or is that just a little bit <laughs> ouch? How, how did, how did you even funny. get that? Like, really? We, we don't need to go there. Okay, um, all right. Turn, turn around. Let's have a look. No, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. My, scrambled eggs? My daughter, who's five one day, was howling over something like, I don't know, a broken business. And she told me in a very serious voice that if I knew how hard her life was, I would understand the pain she was going through. So I'm, I love hearing other people's <laughs> stories. Holly, have you got anything that comes to mind from your kids? Well, very similarly to, to your first story there, Siobhan, my, my little boy who is adorable, but he was looking at me the other day and he was saying, Mummy, you're so beautiful. And I was like, oh, babe, that's lovely. And he goes, except for this bit. And he pointed to my shoulder and he said, that bit looks old. <laughs> but one more quick one that just is a little bit in terms of what we were just talking about but is in, this morning I was walking my daughter to school and she was in a grumpy mood for whatever reason she's eight and I asked her to take my hand while we were crossing the road of course and she said no and I said you've got to hold my hand we're crossing the road she said my body my choice Ooh. I know no right means no, I know. No, no means so no. you have to tell me what to do about this because then I said Take my hand. And I grabbed her hand across the busy road, got to the other side, and she said, Clearly, Mum, you have no respect for my body. Uh, <laughs> body boundaries. I know. Justin, yeah. what do I do when about it, that? When it gets thrown into your face, uh, you're going to have to tell that later, Justin, because we're running out of time. Can you tell us uh, something? I'm sure you've got lots of stories. Endless. Uh, let me let me share a very brief one and then the, the one that I'm most excited to share with you. So um, talking to my, my little three-and-a-half-year-old the other day, she wanted me to do something. It was inconvenient. I was in the middle of doing an important email, and, and I was like, I, I can't do that for you right now, Emily, but I can do it for you soon but right now I'm busy and I can't help you and she looked at me with those beautiful eyes and with the sad pout on her face she says but daddy I believe in you <laughs> oh my goodness okay I'll do whatever you want but, but my favorite one was I, I was having this conversation with the kids about you know whatever you think about in life you're going to bring it into your life if you want to be miserable and think you've got no friends then you're going to project that in in a schoolyard or wherever you are and you'll have no friends if you want to do good things you have a certain energy about you and you bring good things into your life whatever you think about you can ultimately create the more you think about it the more you'll see it you know red cars they're everywhere and um, my, my seven-year-old was thoughtful for a moment. She said, Dad, what if I think about diarrhea? <laughs> oh. oh, bless. See, what would we do without kids? Oh, my goodness. Oh, Where do they get this stuff? I know. I tell you what. Look, hey, thank you both for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I think we might have to go and have a coffee and, and speak some more. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, Holly, thank you so much for your time today. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.